Scott grounded me uh, for two months, and so now I, I hope I earn it back, and uh, I'm just, yeah, thanks. I'm just kidding. You know I control things. Um, but today we're talking about Jonah. As you, In case you missed it, this is the belly of the whale, so it will be here for one time, and then we'll probably throw it away. I don't know what we're going to do with it. Um, so this morning, I, I want to start off by saying that recently, I have known what it's like to be a celebrity, um, and let, let me explain this. So I was at Warby Parker about a month ago. Scott and I both were, and we were looking at glasses and, uh, you know, just minding our own business. And this lady who works there came up and said, are you pastors at Lover's Lane, United Methodist Church? I said, well, yes, we are. Uh, and then uh, a couple weeks ago, again, just minding my own business, taking my daughter to the pediatrician's office, you know, making sure she doesn't have an ear infection. And again, just playing with her and this other mother in the waiting room says, hey, are, are you a reverend at Lover's Lane United Methodist Church? And again, I'm like, can't I just live a normal life? You know, <laughs> like, can't I just be a mom and do things in private without being bothered? You know, it's just annoying um, <laughs> feeling like that. Uh, okay, so I'm kind of kidding. Those, those things did actually happen. But of course, my first response uh, when someone says that to me is, well, first of all, a word goes through my head that I can't say um, from the pulpit. And then, and then I immediately start to go, oh, my gosh, okay, was I nice to the receptionist? Did I cut her off in the parking lot? Did I, you know, what, like, did I yell at Andy? Was I rude to Scott? Like, I go through all these things like, oh, my gosh, they know who I am. I guess I better live into it. And uh, so maybe you have felt like that. Maybe you have kind of felt like you're on the spot when people find out kind of, maybe who you are and, and what you're about or what you claim to be. And so with that, let's open up to the story of Jonah. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on the board, and went um, on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Okay. So, in case you missed it, Jonah did not do what God asked him to do. In fact, he did quite opposite. Like I think, what if God would said, "Okay, I want you to go to Nineveh, and whatever you do." Don't go to Tarshish. And then God said, don't do that. So, of course, he did exactly what he's not supposed to do. So Jonah is maybe a toddler, you know, like whatever you do, don't you dare do that. And then that's exactly what he does, right? And so he, he flees, he's rebellious, he's disobedient. And maybe when you read it, you're like, well, Reagan, like maybe he was scared, Maybe he was nervous. Maybe he thought, well, I don't have what it takes. This is too much. Like, God, I just can't do this. So maybe you start to feel a little sympathetic for him a, a little bit. Like, maybe you shouldn't be so hard. Well, the fact is, Jonah doesn't really have a very good track record. Uh, he's mentioned one other time in the Old Testament, um, in 2 Kings, where he gives a, 
a prophecy to uh, a king, Jeroboam, and he says, you know, you'll prosper, you'll do well, you'll conquer lands. And then Amos, the other prophet, comes and says, actually, that's not right. You will not get that. And so he completely, um, you know, disregards what Jonah said. So Jonah already, if you're familiar, you know Jonah isn't a very well-respected uh, prophet. He's probably like C-list prophet, you know. He's not, he's not up there. And so then we continue to read in the story. And so we know Jonah gets on this boat, and he flees the other direction. And then this great storm comes up. We're talking like kind of out of nowhere, huge, terrifying storm. And these sailors and the captain, I mean, they are terrified. They think they are about to die. I mean, they're doing whatever they, they can to try to save them. They're throwing things off the boat, cargo, trying to get rid of it, trying to make sure they don't tip over and die. And meanwhile, Jonah, our sweet little brother, goes down and sleeps, okay? And this isn't like a little cat nap, y'all. This is uh, the very deep sleep. Uh, translation talks about, like, this is a kind of sleep that you would go into right before you die. Like, it's this heavy sleep where nothing is going to wake you up. Kind of like how Scott used to sleep before we had a baby. Um, I discovered early in our marriage that he sleeps so heavy that if there was a fire, I would be in charge of getting the kids and the dog and everything because he would be useless. He could sleep through anything. And so clearly Jonah is, you know, trying to really wipe his hands clean. Like it's almost like he interpreted what God told him as a headache. Like, let me just sleep it off and then maybe God will forget what he told me to do. Like, maybe if I just ignore it, I sleep hard enough, next day I won't have to do it. So then, as the story goes on, um, you know, the captain is saying, hey, we're praying to our gods, why don't you pray to your god? Like, we, we need some help, what's going on? And the sailors cast a lot, they figure out that Jonah really is the problem, that's why they're in the midst of this storm. So they ask him, like, who are you? And he goes, well, I'm Jonah, I'm Hebrew, I, I worship the, um, the God of, saint, of sea and land, and, you know, he told me to do something, but I decided not to do it. And these pagan sailors are like, God told you to do something, and you, you didn't do it? Why would you do that? And so from this story, we're already starting to see characters that should not have understood who God was, grasping who God is before Jonah, the prophet, does. So it's very interesting to see how these people that shouldn't really understand that have this far deeper faith than Jonah does. Okay, so then Jonah decides, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to solve this. Throw me overboard. And again, you may think, gosh, Jonah's so sweet. He wants to make sure these guys don't die. Like, he is saving their lives. Like, that is really kind of him. Wrong. Jonah is very selfish because he would rather die. He would rather die than follow through with what God told him to do. So it's not an act of being selfless and making sure that all those on the boat are okay. Like he is so angry that God would ask him to go preach the good news to his enemies that he's like, just kill me. So then if I'm dead, I don't have to do it. So they throw him overboard, free Willie swallows him, and then he's in this belly. And he's sitting there, I imagine, or scrunched up. I don't, I don't know how he's in there. And then we come across this prayer. 
And let me read it to you. It's Jonah 2. I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord, my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all mercies, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. And I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. So you read that and you think, gosh, that's a, that's a beautiful prayer. Like Jonah's heart has been changed. He, he is repenting. He knows what he needs to do now. Like, gosh, what a great man. Again, you're wrong. <laughs> It's a pretty insincere prayer. It's layered with grade A baloney. And I have prayed this exact prayer probably a million times. It's not this long. It's not this eloquent. And maybe you have prayed it too. And it goes something like this. God, if you just do this, I promise I'll fill in the blank. Right? Not a, it's not a sincere prayer. Like you're just trying to throw out words to try to maybe convince God, maybe he'll be persuaded that you are actually, um, a cha- you have a changed heart and that you're ready to do something. See, this prayer, it doesn't come from a place of sincerity at all. And so what happens is that the fish spits him out. Now, in the translation, it's not, it doesn't spit, he vomits him out, okay? Vomits. Let's, can we talk about vomit for a second? Anything pretty about vomit? You know how sometimes you're like, oh, that person sneezes so cute. Or that person blows their nose so cute. Have you ever said, they vomit so cute? Like, no, no one, no one says that. And so this, it's a really crass, gross thing. And, and this time, really saying, putting that they vomit out, how gross it is. I mean, they're trying to, to be clear, this writer, of how gross. And really, it's this kind of... A proof of maybe his prayer wasn't sincere that God was so almost kind of disgusted by it that he's spitting it out. It kind of reminds me there's this verse in, in Revelation, which don't get scared. I know it's a scary book where it talks about, you know, I'd rather you be hot or cold and not lukewarm. Like, I want to spit that out. And so there's this, um, this tangible picture of, of God saying, look, like, I need you to be all in. Like, don't give me this fluff. Don't just say these nice words or quote, quote some scripture in your prayer if you don't really mean it. Like, I, I want you to be authentic. I want you to be real. I want you to be changed. And Jonah isn't there. But God, in his grace and his mercy, is going to give him another chance to say, okay, I told you in the beginning, I need you to go to Nineveh. I know they're your enemies, but I need you to go there. So he gives him a second chance. 
So Jonah goes to deliver the news. And in chapter 3, it says that the city is huge, that it takes three days to get to see all of it. But what we read is that Jonah enters the gate and immediately proclaims a message. And this is what it says. Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's it. That's all he says. And so scholars say, you know, it appears that he really gave a really mediocre, he kind of half did it, you know. Like he walked in, kind of like when you, um, maybe when you tell your kids, like, hey, go tell your brother and sister upstairs that dinner's ready. And, you know, rather than like going up there, they shout, you know, you're like, not really helpful. Could you actually put a little bit more effort into it? And so Jonah is really like, okay, I did it. So am I off the hook now? I did what you said. I may have not really done it. But scholars like, isn't it interesting that he doesn't say why they're going to be destroyed, what they did, that there's no mention of God or maybe hope of repentance. There's like nothing. But despite his horrible, horrible declaration, the king hears it. And the people, the words start to spread. And animals, they repent for what they've done. So it's interesting that even God was able to work through a really horrible delivery. And then it goes on. It's a short, short book, four chapters. And Jonah goes off outside the city. And he's covered by some leaves um, from the hot sun. And then a worm comes out and eats the leaves. And then he's scorched and he's mad. And again, he tells God, just kill me. Just die. I'd rather die. Like, I'm so angry that the Ninevites, my enemies, now know the good news and have repented. Like, he's so angry. And then God says, you know, you feel sorry for this plant that got eaten away from the worm, but you don't care about 120,000 people. And then the story ends. That's it. Yay. <laughs> and so from this, I started thinking, okay, what is this story trying to tell us? And this story is about us. It's not even really about the whale or necessarily this person named Jonah. It's about, it's about us. So the first thing I notice is that, one, we don't like to tell people about the good news, people we don't like. That's one reason that keeps us from going out and telling. We don't want to tell people that we don't like about the good news, especially our enemies. Because there's a tiny part of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, that maybe we enjoy when people suffer, when people we don't like don't get their way, or they lose, like they don't have that hope. There's a tiny part of us. I'm going to be honest. There's a tiny part of me that's like, mm, awesome good for you. Like, and I'm not proud of that, but I'm being honest. So there's a big part of us or a small part of us that just thinks, Ugh, they're not deserving of God's grace and love. Only I am. Only these people that look like me and act like me, not you, you're not deserving. And so we get angry when sometimes good things happen to bad people. And when I started thinking about it at a deeper level, I think that bleeds into other areas where we can start to, we're not happy when some people get the same opportunities as us. 
when people have the same access of certain things in us. And so when you think about that, there's actually a part uh, of us that maybe is oppressing people because, oh, no, I don't want you to have the same opportunities or the same chance or the same equality, so we push them down. So rather than being, um, as a Christian, as being someone that really wants to love thy neighbor, we're actually oppressing people. And for me, that convicts me. And so I start to think about those people that I don't want to know the good news because I don't feel like they deserve it. And I'm convicted because I know that that, that is incredibly disobedient. And if I'm being honest, it's pretty evil of me to think that. Okay, my second thing that I see. Jonah is being extremely disobedient. If you read it, you know, God doesn't suggest, God doesn't say, hey, you know what, Jonah, if you have time, could you go to Nineveh? Or if you're not doing anything, or if maybe if you're on your way, make a stop and go ask, you know, tell them a little bit about me. No, it's a direct command. It is not a suggestion. He's not trying to persuade Jonah. He's like, no, this is, that's what I'm telling you to do, and you need to do it. And we know that that's what we are called to do as well. We read in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, when Jesus is giving his final words to his disciples. And he says, go out and tell all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Again, it's not an option for us. Like we are clearly supposed to go and spread the good news. You're right, God can do it without us. He can do it with a poor delivery, all that. But we are still asked to participate and building the kingdom of God. There's no way out of it. And Jonah, also, even though he kind of does it, he kind of wants to do it his own way. And for me, that's where my struggle is, where, you know, I'm fine doing it, but let me take the easier way. Maybe I won't be so direct, or maybe I won't do it face-to-face, like I'll send a message or like a note. Um, You know, I don't want to just come out and say it. And I'm like, you know, that's, that's not really living into what God has told us to do. Let's not take the easy way. Let's not try to take control. Let's not do it our way. Let's do it God's way. Because God's way seems to be the best way to do it. Okay, the third. I think another reason we don't like to tell people and go is because we love to keep um, our faith life separate. We like to have a separate box. Like here's my Christian version of myself and here's my other version of myself. And we can't live like that. We know that when we declare that Christ is our Savior and Lord, that that should intercept every part of our life, that it should literally run through our veins, that there's no distinction between who we are on Sunday and who we are on Monday. And I think we have a hard time with that because we think, well, I can't mingle that in. I really need to keep that separate. And that's, that's just not true. I think you can be a Christian seven days a week. I really do. I think you can... Um, have conversations, I think it can influence how you talk, what you do, maybe what you don't do. I don't think we need to separate um, that life. I think we are called to be one. We are called to be this body. We are called um, to really live it out and not leave Jesus in the dust. Okay, my fourth point, and this is kind of uh, the big one. So I think one reason we don't like to evangelize is because um, we are scared once we lay those cards out, 
that we may be exposed of who we really are. And what I mean by that is that maybe people will start to watch us a little bit more closely. And they'll say, well, you claim to be this, but you're doing that. And so you kind of feel like you're on the hot seat. You feel like, oh, gosh, now I have to actually live into what I say I am. Like, I have to follow through. And, and that can be kind of scary. And you're right. You probably will be looked at a, bit, a little bit closely. You may be judged. You may get called out by being a hypocrite. Um, but going back to that opening story, you know, I hope that when people see me out in public that there's no part of like, oh, gosh, she is totally not who she says she is. She lives a completely different life. But I don't want this to keep us from telling people because here's the really good thing that we often forget is that we can mess up. I don't know why that message got, hey, if you're a Christian, you've got to be perfect. And if you do this and that, then you are out. We've convinced ourselves, like, well, I can't be flawed. I can't be real. I can't expose things. Like, have you heard of apologizing or asking for forgiveness or simply just saying, you know what? That was probably not a smart decision. Like, we can do that. We have the freedom to be a Christian and still mess up. Or, but then you maybe start to think at a deeper level and think, you know, I can't tell people I'm a Christian because, you know, I've got some anger or my marriage isn't perfect, or I just, you know, I've got these things that I've got. Um, go to counseling. Go to therapy. Like, stop thinking that means you're a failure or you're not a good Christ follower. Like, that is such a gift to us people. If you think, okay, I'm dealing with this. I don't know how to handle it. And you say, well, I'm going to go to counseling. That means you care about yourself. And you know that you're not living into exactly who you can be. That you can be a better version of yourself. When you think, you know, my marriage is struggling, go to counseling. That means you care about your spouse, that you want to fight for it. Like that is such a gift. And I wish, I wish someday we could talk so much more openly and say, yeah, I go to counseling, I go to counseling, and not be embarrassed and shameful because there is nothing to be ashamed of if you go get some help. There is nothing, nothing embarrassing about that. I would encourage us all to do that sometime in our life. Because I guarantee there are going to be moments and seasons in our life where we need some outside help. That is okay. And so I don't want that to keep us from thinking we can't go tell the good news. I want us to be more open. Because isn't it refreshing when people are real and vulnerable with us? Gosh, I love that. And our world needs more of it because we have way too many Christians that are saying how perfect they are, they perfect are, you know, and then maybe something blows up, and then we're like, oh, okay. But if we could just be more upfront, that would be incredibly refreshing in the kind of movement I think we need in the Christian church. Okay. So one thing that I want to leave you with is that I don't want us to refuse telling people about Christ. Because when we refuse to do that, when we walk away, we stifle the Holy Spirit. First Thessalonians talks about, you know, we, that we stifle the Holy Spirit a lot. And we've probably all have experienced that when maybe you're having a conversation with someone and you're like, this would be such a great time to mention my church or what God has done for me. And there's like a big wide open door and you chicken out. 
you say, oh, no. Or you have that prompting or that nudge sometimes. You're like, oh, get away, get away. That's a Holy Spirit. And I want you to respond to that and be brave and be bold. And take an opportunity to tell people. See, we're wearing these t-shirts. It's our campaign. It's our mission statement that we love all people. And I want to live into that. I want to live that each and every day of my life. And I hope you do too, because I'm tired of running away. I'm tired of missing opportunities. I'm tired of running away from conversations. You guys have the ability to do it. Jonah's story proves that God is able to, to use people all the time, even if you're not eloquent, even if you mess up, even when you're flawed. And my final thing, this story shows me that God will do whatever he um, can to get to us, that his pursuit is so fierce and so strong, and that he has grace and mercy. The fact that he gave Jonah second chances, okay, try it again, try it again. And we forget that God loved us so much that he wanted to get to us so badly to prove his love that he sent his son. That nothing was going to keep him from trying to get to us so that we can know his love. And if you know it, and if you have it, let's go tell people about him because we live in a world that is broken and lonely and struggling and they need the good news. They need to know that they are loved. And they need to know that we here at Lover's Lane love all people. Let's pray. God, thank you for the story of Jonah. How flawed and messed up he is, and yet good things were able to happen. It is a scary thing to open that door to colleagues, to family, to friends to say, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you how he has transformed my life. That is a scary and nerve-wracking thing, even when our name starts with Rev. Would you allow us to be more obedient to the Holy Spirit, that we would listen and that we would follow through? We know we're not perfect, but your son is. And we are so grateful for that. And it's in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Reagan.